Welcome to So-and-So, brought to you by Bernina, made to create. I'm Meg Goodman, and you're about to enjoy a casual conversation with a special member of the Sewist and Quilting community. A conversation about how they got started, what inspires them, what excites them, and their connection to this community. Our guest today is Becky Glasby, the Director of Education at the National Quilt Museum in Paducah, Kentucky. Originally from Baltimore, Maryland, Becky began quilting at the age of 15 with initial teachings from her aunt. She immediately fell in love with the craft and taught her mom how to quilt upon returning home from this visit with her aunt. Earning a degree in historic preservation from the University of Mary Washington in Virginia, Becky combined her formal education with her love of quilting, beginning her tenure at the National Quilt Museum 11 years ago. She's a member of the Modern Quilt Guide, has had several of her quilts featured in shows across the country, and has participated in numerous online swaps. She's also a member of the board of directors of the Quilts of Valor Foundation. In addition to the inspiration she gets from being surrounded by and exposed to the exhibits at the museum, Becky finds great joy in the tactile experience of quilting. Becky, welcome to So-and-So. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, this this is wonderful. I have personally uh, visited the Quilt Museum, and it's it's an amazing place. I'm excited about talking to you about your experience as a quilter, and then um, sharing some interesting things about the museum. Now, your aunt taught you the basics of quilting at 15. Mm-hmm. What led you to want to quilt, and what have you done to continue to practice and learn this craft? I don't know that I you know, remember consciously thinking, I want to learn to quilt. Um, I had done, you know, cross stitch as a kid and some other um, crafty kind of stitchy type things, either just some things that my mom had done or helped teach me um, things that I picked up, you know, through scout programs or, you know, other things. So I had kind of been familiar with sewing in those kind of ways. Um, And then I was spending some time one summer with my aunt and uncle, and my aunt also had done needlepoint and cross stitch over the years, you know, all sorts of those kind of um, hand crafts. And she had gotten into quilting. Um, I'm not really sure what what prompted that on her end. I'll have to ask her. Um, And that was just something that she had been working on. And so when I was visiting, it was something kind of of a project like, hey, would you be interested? This could be something fun while you're here visiting that we could work on together. Um, So it wasn't really just a conscious, oh, this is a thing, a skill that I want to learn. It just kind of naturally came about. you know, from interest from my aunt and and things that I had been interested in and thought it sounded kind of fun. So we went to Joann's at the time they had been doing their block of the month programs and where they would release, you know, the kits for the block. So everything was pre-cut, you know, it made a single, I don't know, maybe a 12 inch block. And so she had been working on one um, currently. And so we went and picked out one of the designs that I thought looked cool. I think it's a star. Uh, it's kind of in these green fabric ways. And my aunt had a different floral fabric that she had substituted in on the quilt that she made with these blocks. So we kind of talked about fabric and, and different colors, things like that. And so during the week, we we put it together. She taught me how to piece it. Um, you know, I can't even recall if it was hand-pieced or machine-pieced, probably mm-hmm. machine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did some hand quilting. So she, you know, taught me how to do that. And we turned it into a pillow, which I still have. Um, I've dug that out, you know, of the boxes and things. It's um, 
I still have that at home. And it was just something really exciting. It was something different, something fun. And when I got home from that trip, you know, I was talking all about my trip to my parents. And because my mom had done sewing and crafting things, you know, I was like, hey, this look what I made. You should learn how to do this. This was really fun. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> let me sure. let me talk you through the process. So in that sense, I taught my mom to quilt. <laughs> and um, how did that go? <laughs> it went really well. She still quilts as well. It's something that both of us, you know, enjoy talking quilty things and going back and forth on ideas and sharing oh. photos and, and things when we're together and even though we're in different states now. So it's it's something that we kind of learned together. Um, and even when I was, you know, in college and kind of away from home and things, something that my mom and I, you know, continue to do and, and are able to enjoy visiting quilt shows. And, you know, she's come visited me at work numerous times and just, you know, kind of learning and seeing and, you know, experimenting with all different types of patterns and fabrics and colors and <laughs> just a lot of fun. You've talked about um, you enjoy the tactile experience of quilting. Tell us more about that. I mean, it's something that you know, creating and creating with your hands, you know, it's, I've never really been someone who is good at drawing, you know, things, you know, I can draw stick people really well, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and and I admire that, but I think having some of that experience of cross-stitch and kind of that, the stitchy and choosing the colors, um, I really love all aspects of quilting. Um, I know that's kind of strange to say, like even sometimes the cutting, you know, I enjoy doing just the whole process of choosing the fabrics and looking through and, and getting your hands into what you're creating, the ability to turn things and mix them up, substitute other colors or fabrics, um, tweak a pattern. My mom and I are really good at doing that uh, when we have patterns and we try to adjust it for a different size or add other materials to it, um, you know, kind of figuring those details out. But then also, the stitching, the piecing. I love machine quilting. Um, that's something that I really enjoy doing and feel that it's a way that I can kind of create and be artistic um, through that experience and kind of knowing that I have made something, whether I'm keeping it for myself, if it's something that I'm, you know, working on for work, you know, to share with other people, learning how to do a specific skill, or if I'm making quilts to give as gifts for friends. Um, I've done a lot of baby quilts for friends. It's kind of my go-to baby shower gift. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, just that sense of creating something special, working on it, putting the time and effort into it, and knowing that it's something that then they're going to enjoy. You know, they're going, their kids are gonna take outside and have picnics and drag it around the house and, you know, sleep with it and, you know, just kind of have something that that physical memory. Um, and that touch aspect, I really think, you know, really kind of encapsulates what a quilt can mean. And, you know, you get all of that through the whole process. So I just, you know, I love experiencing that and watching it and helping other people experience that as, as well. Now, in creating your quilt, you, one of your favorite things is free motion quilting. So for our newer quilters who are listening, explain what this is and why you love it so much. I think it's just the sense of you can do whatever you want with free motion quilting that I really like, that you don't have to follow something set specific. Mm-hmm. Um, free motion quilting, you know, I use a regular home sewing machine. I've got a Janome 7700 Horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do a lot of different size quilts with that, but you just lower the feed dogs on your machine. And that allows you to freely move your fabric in any direction to go through, hence the free motion in the title. And it really comes down to that hand-eye-foot coordination, (laughs) um, which is for a lot of people intimidating and can be really hard to kind of 
get, you know, experience or kind of master that, that ability. But when I'm kind of encouraging people or teaching people about it, that it's really, you just have to practice and you're kind of like your handwriting, like everybody's, you know, handwriting printer cursive. We all learn those basics, but ours all looks a little bit different because of our own personalities and the way that we write, you know, all comes out just a little bit different. So free motion designs, whether it's kind of meanders or stipples or swirls or squiggly lines, you know, whatever it is that you're creating, it's not always going to look exactly the same from one person to the next. And that's okay, because it is kind of this personal, kind of like handwriting that you you, you have your own speed, your own um, density of this of the quilting. My stipple usually is pretty dense. My mom's is a little bit more open sometimes or vice versa on other designs. Things that flow easier for me might not work as well for somebody else. So I like that it gives us this ability to kind of make it more personalized, mm-hmm. um, to add all these, you know, different designs to it. Um, and, you know, when I'm teaching it, you know, to our kids, to talking about it to people in the galleries who are intimidated, you know, when they look at quilts here that have all this really great design and stitching is you just, you kind of have to practice. You just take pen and paper or like a dry erase marker on a whiteboard, something, and you doodle your design and you just don't lift up your pen. It's a continuous line drawing, basically. And you just kind of experiment. How do you get out of a corner? How do you work your way back around through the design? If you spin one way, but then you need to go back the opposite way, kind of work it out on paper. I do that every time when I sit down for a new design or to start on a quilt, I kind of get that rhythm into my hands and my eyes first with pen and paper. And Mm -hmm. that way, when I come to the sewing machine, whether I'm going to use a practice sandwich um, just to kind of make sure my tension or that it still flows right, that it looks the way it's supposed to on a test piece of fabric first. Um, But then eventually you just have to do it. You just have to, you have to put the quilt under (laughs) the needle and you actually have to (laughs) stitch it in the quilt itself. And it's gonna, you know, not be great the first few times, but the more that you do it, the more you, like I said, you get that rhythm into your hands, into your eyes, and you start to figure it out with your speed on your machine and kind of how you maneuver different pieces through. And then, you know, it's just really fun because you can learn there's so many designs out there and books and videos from other artists. And so that's always inspiring to me to kind of see, well, how did they do this design? How can I incorporate that into this piece that I'm making? Or I'm looking for something that fits this type of space, a sashing or a border versus a full background you know, how do I work around the design of the block of the quilt itself, um, you know, for gifts, for baby quilts, things like that. You know, can I stitch st- something special about that person into the design through free motioning? Um, I always try to stitch a little bumblebee into my design. So that's something that I've kind of worked on over the years. It's kind of my signature um, into my quilts, something special for me. And so when I gift quilts to people, they're always like, oh, let me, we got to find the bumblebee, you know, kind of tucked <laughs> into those designs. So it kind of sure. makes it more of that experience to come together. Now, you were talking about inspiration, and um, you've mentioned that you get a lot from the exhibitions at the museum and the artists that you've met through your work. Is there a specific exhibit or artist that left a notable impression on you? You know, I was thinking about this, and it's just so hard to choose even just one or two. Um, There have been so many exhibits that I've seen through the years, um, and they're they're all different, but they all have their own things that stand out um, 
or a specific artist. When we've had workshops here, you know, I've been able to take some of the workshops that we've offered here at the Quilt Museum and kind of learn some different skills, learn from these artists like Diane Godinsky on free motion quilting, um, Sue Nichols and Pat Holly, Victoria Finley Wolf. You know, even when I'm not taking the class specifically, being able to kind of meet the teachers, meet the artists, you know, when they come in and talk to them about their quilts. Um, you know, that's always just really exciting. And you learn more about the person, but then also about their process and their style and, and their inspirations, which then we can share with our visitors. And every exhibit, even all the quilts in our collection, you know, people always ask, which one's your favorite? Which is, you know, which one do you really love? And mm-hmm. I usually end up stopping, you know, when they ask that in the middle of a tour and kind of go, well, what's up? You know, what's currently here and on view? And usually it's maybe a list of 10, you know, plus quilts, because really when you get into it in any quilt, or any exhibition, you can really find lots of really great details, whether it's a design in the quilting that I'm taking a picture of to think, ooh, I really want to try this this design or this free motion, you know, kind of motif, or, hey, I really love this color combination, you know, maybe I should try this in my next design, or I just love how they use these different types of threads, or the way that they kind of told this story through their whole, you know, piece that, it's always new and exciting here, even when the exhibit's up for several months that, you know, we get to spend the time with it as staff. We're lucky enough that we can see it day in and day out. You know, when I need a break or just kind of need to kind of get away from my computer screen for a bit, I can walk through the exhibits, look at the quilts. And sometimes it's, oh, these are favorites. These are nice. And then sometimes it's, you know, I haven't really read this label. I don't remember what this quilt is about, or I haven't really you know, sat with this quilt because it's still new enough, you know, let me sit and take it in and really just kind of explore one or two pieces at a time. And so each one is just so fascinating um, that, like I said, it's, it's hard to choose a specific exhibit. Um, I don't want to name any specific exhibit because then I'm going to feel like I'm leaving something out. <laughs> it's like asking you which one is your favorite child, right? Yeah, I think so, <laughs> that we find ways in all of them and in all the different artists that it it's really hard for us to say this is a favorite because then a new exhibit comes in and you're like, well, this one's a favorite and I love what they did here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's really great to be surrounded by this all the time. Now, I, I want to take that comment uh, a little bit deeper. You were talking about being surrounded by things, the ability to meander around the, the museum. Mm-hmm. You have a job, Becky, that I am thinking is the envy of many of our <laughs> listeners. So w- would you tell us a little bit more about what it's like to be director of education at the uh, National Quilt Museum. Tell us more about your job. Sure. Um, I get to do a lot of fun things. I get to talk about quilts a lot, pretty much all the time, it feels like, which is perfectly suited for me because I love to talk about quilts and share that with other people. Um, Every day is a little bit different, so that's kind of nice too. There's not necessarily a set schedule that I have to, you know, follow every day or kind of things to work on. So, you know, I can be dealing with emails to kind of set up tours um, with school groups or other uh, groups that are interested in coming through. Sometimes it's answering questions from people about the quilts. Um, there are some days where, you know, we're busy enough that or we need somebody extra in the galleries to talk with our visitors. So, you know, I like popping in there and then meeting people from all around the world, um, talking about exhibits or when they have questions about, hey, this label says 
you know, this is how this quilt was put together, but I don't understand what that means. Or can you tell me more about the background of this, this piece? Um, so being able to talk specifics, uh, techniques or artists or styles um, in the galleries with people. I've been giving, I've got a tour coming up this afternoon. I've had several this week um, coming through. So tailoring a little bit to what type of class is coming, their age, grade level, you know, kind of interest levels based on what's up in the galleries is part of the job. Um, there's a lot of uh, coordination with our curatorial department when we have exhibit installations um, and changes or rotating quilts in the galleries. I get to help out with that, which is really fun um, to be kind of part of that team on those days to really kind of be all aspects in the galleries. Um, you know, there are days where I'm prepping materials or trying to come up with ideas for hands-on or for projects. We have um, a lot of different programs that I'm responsible for. Our youth quilt block contest, our school block challenge. And that's, we're in the middle of that right now. Um, I've already got the first block entries for this year submitted. So when those pick up, I get a little bit busier working through those submissions, which become an exhibit. Um, we've got a junior quilters club. They meet monthly and they work on lots of different quilty type projects, basically whatever I think they should be working on or what I think is interesting or something that I want them to make sure that they've learned about quilting. So I get to choose projects for that um, and work with that handful of kids who come and kind of show them the ropes. We go into the galleries. We, you know, help, you know, help them learn how to quilt, um, planning other programs for our block of the month club, our quilt camps in the summer. Um, if we're doing other classes, things like that, you know, might be setting up, um, times and dates with artists or um, with teachers when artists come to visit you know if we're here we come out and meet them and like to get photos I work with our social media as well so it's posting things online so it, it covers a lot of a lot of things um, some days are more overwhelming than others but there is a lot of flexibility so I do enjoy that variety and sometimes the the chaos of it um, in that creativity of, of jumping from one project or one aspect to the other keeps it interesting and keeps it fun. Well, it's an understatement to say your days are full. <laughs> yes. Sure. Now, one, one of your favorite events, you, you were talking about the, the myriad things that you do at the museum. Um, you really enjoy the museum's quilt camp for kids. So tell us what this is and, and why it means so much to you. I think it, it covers a lot of what I love about quilting. Um, talking about quilts, sharing quilts with others, it's kind of inspiring and teaching this next generation of quilters for our quilt camps. Um, I get to be creative and come up with these projects, um, teaching them, you know, these different skills, but also learning, you know, from their combinations and things. So it's something we do in June each year. Um, typically, we have four different sessions. Um, they're kind of half day, either a morning or afternoon class for four days during a week. Um, and we have three different skill levels. So in prepping for camp, it's not just taking registrations and slotting them into the right sections, but we have three different projects. So we have our beginners, our intermediate campers, and then advanced sessions. And so there's a different project for each um, for each of those levels. And so I get to come up with those projects. And so for me, that's the fun part of looking for what kind of is interesting or maybe what's kind of currently happening in quilting or things that are interesting for the kids to learn. But it's also really fun um, to take those projects and 
with the beginners, they're learning how to use sewing machines. They're learning about quilting maybe for the first time, or maybe this is their third or fourth year coming to camp. So they're, they're familiar. It's, you know, they, they kind of know some of it, but the project is different from year to year. So they're learning different skills um, and seeing them advance, you know, in those skills is really fun. Um, chaotic, but but a lot of fun with the kids. We provide all the materials here at the museum. So the kids come in, they work on their projects, and at the end of the week, they go home with a finished quilt. Um, so that's a big part of my goal is that they would come in and, and create something, but have it finished, quilted, you know, bound, whatever it is. Um, the intermediate group, those kids, once they get a little bit older and have more camp experience, we teach them how to use rotary cutters. And so they're learning kind of those next steps and kind of giving them sometimes this freedom to learn these skills that their parents don't know or aren't able to teach them at home. And so this is a way that they can learn how to do it um, and be inspired and start to learn more advanced techniques. They're going to do machine quilting. They're, they're learning how to make binding you know, in that age. And then as they age up, um, once they get up old enough for advanced camp, that's a lot of fun because they've been coming to camp for probably five or six years at that point. I've watched them kind of grow from year to year. Their color sense changes, you know, from summer to summer, things that, you know, they're expanding their own personalities and interests. And then also they've learned how to cut. They know what they're doing. And so we're learning things. We've done curved piecing, paper piecing. We've done free motion quilting for advanced camp. We're kind of really throwing all these different styles and things, once they know the basics, here are all these other ways that you can create quilts. And watching them take that and really come up with, you know, we give them all the same patterns, you know, but the way the quilts go home, none of them are exactly the same unless the kids coordinate with a friend um, to use the same material. So they're really putting their own spins on it. They're turning blocks different directions. They're putting colors into it. You know, it's just really exciting to see that, but also to encourage it and to be able to pass this, this skill and this art form on to, um, to the next generation and kind of watch them grow with it from year to year. And it, and if our listeners would like to learn more about this, uh, it's on your website. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is national, uh, quiltmuseum.org. Quiltmuseum.org. And um, they can find us right there. They'll be under programs and resources, um, for the education tabs. Um, and then just all information about pretty much anything at the museum they can find on the, on the webpage there. All right, let's talk about the uh, quilt museum now. I, I mentioned I had visited there, and I will say it is a a must see destination. It's it's amazing, and um, it's internationally famous, um, and it's an annual destination for many. I learned. Um, so tell us about its history and why it's located in Paducah, Kentucky. <laughs> we get asked that a lot. People always wonder why Paducah, why here, and the answer actually is really simple. Um, the Bill and Meredith Schrader, who founded the Quilt Museum, they live here in Paducah. So they wanted to found something to kind of work here and, and give back and be rooted in their community. So that's why we are in Paducah. Um, they are also the founders of the American Quilter Society. So a lot of people may know them you know, through that route, through the quilt shows that they run around the, um, around the country. And so they had started... American Quilter Society first, and they had been collecting quilts and really kind of getting into the sense of we want to honor the work of quilters and really recognize it and give it more of a platform as an art form and just really kind of recognize the work and the time and the efforts and the skill that go into creating all these great pieces. And so after several years and kind of they'd been collecting quilts, they then founded the Quilt Museum here in Paducah. 
Um, the building that we're in is our original building. It was built for the museum. We were opened in April of 1991. So this year we're celebrating our 30th anniversary year as the Quilt Museum, which is really exciting. And that's, you know, we've become kind of this global destination. You know, we're known around the country, um, partially because the museum is here, partially because Paducah is such a great little town. Um, there's lots of arts and creativity in the area and in, in the downtown as well. We're located kind of right in the downtown of Paducah. Um, so it's a great spot to visit. And then there's also people who come internationally that they know Paducah because of the Quilt Museum, um, because of the AQS show in Paducah, usually in April. And so there's lots of quilt things happening, kind of this quilting destination. But, you know, it really just brings a lot of different people to town and, and a lot of people interested in quilts and coming to the museum itself. Yeah, but Paducah is a great town. Uh, it's beautiful where, where you're located, a lot to do. And many of our guests on so-and-so have either visited there on numerous occasions or actually had quilts exhibited. So there's there's a tie in, in this community. Now, um, I promised our listeners we'd talk a little bit about some behind-the-scenes things at the museum. So can you walk us through how you identify the artists and pieces you're going to exhibit and walk us through the process and timeline of selecting, acquiring, and preparing an exhibit? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot to cover. Um, I will say our curator, Rachel Barr, is the one that knows you know all of the timeline and all of those processing that is um, her job to kind of find some of these artists to find exhibitions um, and to create the schedule. A lot of times she's working our schedule of exhibitions two to three years in advance, um, kind of currently looking for different artists, different types of quilting, um, different styles. Sometimes it's things that that she finds on her own searches. Um, sometimes it's something that, you know, myself or one of our other employees might see online or hear about. And then we kind of send it to Rachel, be like, hey, have you heard about this person or have you seen this? They would be good for, you know, an exhibit or, you know, whatever it is, kind of we might send her some, some ideas. Sometimes it's artists um, when they're coming through and as we meet them that then, you know, that, that triggers sometimes that, oh, let me check out what do they have, or we see their work elsewhere, and let's look them up, and could this be something that would fit into, into the schedule, things like that. So it comes kind of in all, all directions, I think, for Rachel of, of finding things, but then also getting information and ideas from other people um, to create those exhibits. She, I know she's looking a lot to, to see different types of quilting, different types of styles. Uh, we are a contemporary collection for the museum itself, um, and so these exhibits kind of allow us ways to bring in other techniques, other artists, other styles, things to kind of complement what we own um, and really kind of showcase a lot of, of different artists because there are a lot of quilters doing amazing things out there. And, you know, we want to be able to share that with more people and, you know, with our visitors. Um, we have two side galleries that are rotating exhibitions. And that is kind of the, the main schedule that Rachel works with. Those are here for about three to four months at a time, and then they rotate out. Um, so she, she works to make sure that they're not always rotating at the same times, because that's a lot of work on our end to prep um, labels and resources and, you know, shipping to get the quilts in to prepping. And it usually takes us a day, sometimes two days to change out an exhibit, you know, take everything down rearrange walls. We might do some painting. We might, you know, move stuff in different ways. We might have quilts that have to be hung in different ways, not just 
you know, on the walls, it might be free hanging from the ceiling or exhibited in kind of alternate alternative ways. So we kind of have to allot time for that um, on the exhibition. So Rachel's kind of making sure that as those exhibits rotate, they're kind of um, off, you know, off each other's schedules so that we're kind of doing one at a time. Um, to go through, but it also keeps it new for visitors. So if they've been before, if they come back, there's going to be different exhibits, different things to see anytime that they're coming through the museum, which is exciting. Um, and then things from the museum's collection, we always have selections out of our quilts. We own over 660 quilts at this point, and that continues to grow. Um, we acquire quilts mainly through donations from the artist or from someone who owns the artwork. Um, we have occasionally purchased quilts um, that can be trickier with, as a nonprofit, you know, requiring either someone to help us with funding or raising funds in order to purchase quilts. Um, so we do have a lot that have been donated, which is excellent um, in growing the collection and showcasing all these different styles and artworks. And just like exhibits, uh, those come come to us and kind of filter through Rachel and then to our acquisitions committee so they can kind of go through the process of deciding is it something that fits in our collection and, you know, will it work? Um, you know, will they accept it? Those kind of things. Uh, sometimes from the artists, someone just kind of, we get phone calls and emails all the time of, hey, I have this quilt, you know, we'd like to donate it somewhere. You know, is this a good fit? Things like that. Sometimes it's us reaching out, the committee or Rachel kind of reaching out to an artist. Um, saying we really love your work or if it's an artist who's had an exhibition here and we've kind of enjoyed it and it's like, oh, we'd really love to have a piece of theirs, you know, as part of our collection. Um, you know, it's something different or, you know, something unique or in a style that we want to, to add to what we have to showcase. So those come up in different ways as well. And there's information on our website of how to submit exhibition proposals or um, proposals for acquisitions that can all be found on our website as well. Um, so it doesn't always have to start from the museum reaching out to ask somebody. People can always send us proposals and things like that um, for our different exhibit spaces. Um, it's just, you know, it's a big process going through. Once things are decided, then it's, you know, Rachel figures out the look of the exhibit for labels, for narrative, working with the artist to get information. Um, and when we're changing things out, it's a lot of fun for us to kind of figure out where to hang the quilts, you know, which ones look good, how to fit sometimes all of them into the gallery, depending on changing up the look of the walls and moving things around, depending on how many pieces or how large or small the pieces are, uh, so that when people come in, the exhibit has kind of its own identity. Um, and each exhibit kind of is a little bit separate because they're all saying different things. Sometimes it's from a specific artist. And it's all works by the same person. Sometimes it's an exhibit put together by another organization or another individual, and it's works by multiple artists around a specific theme. Um, so sometimes we're dealing with lots of shipping and lots of processing. Sometimes it's a single point of contact to different institutions. Um, each one's always a little bit different. But like I said, it just kind of keeps it fresh and something something new and interesting always for visitors to see. There's always something going on. There's always at least three exhibits out plus selections from the museum's collection. Sometimes there are more than that. It really just kind of depends on the schedule. There's a lot that goes on after hours <laughs> at the museum. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, Becky, how many visitors do you usually get each year at the museum? 
In normal years, we probably go, it's probably 40 to 50,000 in a year. They come from all across mm-hmm. the country in and all around the world as well. Um, we're open year round. So I know a lot of people come maybe specifically in the spring for quilt week here in Paducah, but we are open all the time. You know, anytime you can come in, there might be people from Kentucky, there might be people from Illinois or Missouri or Florida or um, England or, you know, places like Israel and Australia, you know, just kind of coming to the States and knowing that they want to come to the quilt museum, people who are just passing through um, driving, you know, to Florida or back again, um, up to Wisconsin, Minnesota, things like that. So it's really great, um, the variety of visitors that we get and just where they're coming from really, you know, continues to, to surprise us some, sometimes. I would encourage any visitor who has heard this podcast also when they visit the museum, um, the, the people at your reception desk are incredibly kind and gracious yeah. and uh, they're, they're wonderful to talk to. So, so mention that, that you heard Becky on this podcast um, because I know that the folks at the Quilt Museum would love to, to know that um, the people listen to this. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about the uh, online block of the month club. Yeah, this is fairly recent. Um, I say that, but it's probably three to four years. It was started in 2018. Um, it's something new that we kind of wanted to connect a little bit more with a broader audience. Uh, we know, like I said, we've mentioned we get lots of visitors from around the world every year, but not everybody can can come to the quilt museum um, or maybe come as often as they would like to, to the quilt museum. And so we wanted to kind of spread that reach, um, even if people couldn't come physically to the building, that we'd have this, this program, this Block of the Month Club. Um, it's a free program that we've been running. And... We've, we work with guest designers, uh, usually pulling inspiration from exhibits here at the museum or collection artists or museum themes. So each month, the block is designed by a different guest artist, and it kind of relates to something we have here at the museum. Um, and so we create, they create a pattern for us. We kind of package it all together into our format for the Block of the Month Club. And those patterns are released the first of every month at noon central time. Um, and they're sent to, they're up on our website, quiltmuseum.org slash block of the month. People can find it directly there. And there's also a Facebook group for the Block of the Month Club. And so there's a lot of interactions there. We have, currently we are at about 21,000 members globally um, in the Facebook group itself. And we know that there are people who don't do Facebook that are participating as well. They're just not, you know, in that number, um, which is why we put it to our website and the group itself so people can find and share those patterns. Um, And so at the end of what we call our round, you know, after 12 months, um, they have 12 blocks that they can put together into a finished quilt. And every block has been designed by somebody maybe new to them or different artists, different styles, different techniques. Um, It's kind of our goal, something to be creative and kind of teach new things, but also give people a chance to try things that maybe they were a little hesitant about or hadn't ever experienced before in a way that they can make a single block and and try it and not have a huge commitment um, to a specific technique as they're learning. And then they have a finished quilt at the end of the year, at the end of the round, that is all kind of related to quilt museum things. And so we've, we are, this is November, so we are going to be finishing up round three 
next month in December. So we've done several of these going through, and it's really great because people have been members of this club since the very beginning. So they've done all three of the rounds, you know, along with us. Um, this year has been unique because we've been doing a quilt as you go method. So the designs include quilting each of the blocks to kind of teach some different skills and styles and, and give people a way to learn about quilting, straight line quilting and free motion quilting and all different types of quilting and stitching um, as part of this round specifically. Um, and so once the round is over, we've selected usually about 10 quilts or so from participants who are interested and we've exhibited several quilts from that round in the museum to kind of showcase the program and kind of see how even though they all start with the same directions and they start with the same inspiration block and the same pattern most of the time in the group people use that as a springboard and there are people beginners or people who have never tried a technique they do it exactly the way the pattern is written which is fabulous and they're learning different skills and then there are ways that people start seeing especially in the Facebook group photos, you know, every month as people are, are putting their um, blocks together. So it's really great to see the same block in a multitude of colorways um, of different patterns of fabrics and types of fabrics that people are choosing for their palette each year, um, ways that they're taking what we give them as the instruction and personalizing it and kind of creating their own block inspired by the pattern that we've given them. So sometimes you look at a block and think, well, how does that relate to this month? Because they've changed a motif or they've, you know, did something a little bit different, but it really allows people to be creative and learn from other people from all around the world and see how other people are creating these quilt blocks. And when they struggle with something or have a question, you know, people in the group are really great about um, giving suggestions or answering questions or figuring out, you know, an alternative method. If they can't do hand stitching, then they've figured out how to do it by machine or vice versa, you know, all these different ways. So it really opens up our mission of kind of honoring the work of today's quilter, but also bringing it to audiences around the world. And this program being a free digital program allows us to kind of connect the museum to more places and more people who can't always physically come in the doors, but they're part of our community, part of our audience level as well. And it's been really great to see this program grow over the last few years um, and to know that people are excited about it. Sometimes when they travel here, they tell us that they're working on the block of the month or they bring their finished quilts here with them on their trip and to get pictures of their quilt here at the quilt museum. Um, you know, that's always really exciting to see it in person for us. And just, you know, it's that creativity, it's that sense of community that people in quilting that's always been a part of quilting. Um, and it's just maybe not a physical in-person community. Maybe they don't know any quilters where they live, but this is a way that they can have that social aspect and that community togetherness with each other but also with the museum and kind of learn about who we are and what we do and the types of exhibits. And then also the artists who are guest designers and kind of new people to follow online and, you know, new friends to make as they're working through all these different blocks and techniques. You know, I, I think it's worth um, repeating uh, again that these um, quilters can join an international community at no cost mm -hmm. and um, have an opportunity to maybe have their quilt fe featured at the quilt museum. Yeah. And what's really great, too, like I said, we're finishing up round three in December. Um, it's kind of a mystery. So 
nobody knows what the next block is going to be until it's released. Um, sometimes that can be a little bit tricky for people when they're trying to plot out their colors or their, their designs um, of fabric choices, but it allows a little bit of freedom. Um, and even people who are hearing this maybe for the first time through the podcast, we leave all of those patterns available on the website and in the Facebook group. So they can join in and they can find it now and they can look back at the last two rounds um, and they could start round three right now if they wanted. You know, there's no specific deadline um, that we have matched up for people so they can join in any time. They can make as many or as few of the blocks from any of the patterns and so it also is a way that, you know, it's not just a limited thing that people can go back and find something from the first round, or we've had people join this year and they've gone back to, to work on blocks from previous years that they weren't a part of the group yet. Um, so it really allows you to kind of find things that speak to you or techniques you want to try and try it in that block through the pattern, through the design and kind of see what people have made and then, you know, create your own or, or join in with us at any time. And this is the the community that this podcast is all about. And that's, again, at quiltmuseum.org if, uh, if people are interested. Becky, is there a little known fact about the museum you can share with us? I, this one, too, I was think, trying to think, what A is shareable? <laughs> <laughs> true, true. And, you know, the official shareable thing. Yes. But also something that we don't maybe normally talk about because I feel when we have visitors or when people ask us questions or you know, listen to things that we're, you know, we talk about all of our things, you know, how we get quilts and exhibits and mm -hmm. um, what the quilts are. And so it was a little bit tricky, but it did kind of occur to me sometimes our registrar collections manager, she'll kind of go through the data of our collections. Like I said, we have over 660 quilts at this point. And so sometimes she'll start looking at the breakdowns. Quilting, of course, is, has historically and it's, for a lot of, for us, is still a predominantly female art form. Um, so we are a museum that we're, you know, 90 some percent female artists, um, which is a little bit different than other art museums, other art, um, art forms sometimes to go through. There are men who quilt. And so sometimes that can be surprising to people in the galleries or when they're looking around and they see, you know, these different names with the pieces. But she starts looking into sometimes that data of the percentages and how many quilts are, you know, what's the percentage of male artists to female or pieces. Um, sometimes we have multiple pieces by the same artist. So how does that, you know, change, change the, the data or the, or the numbers, the percentages? And because we're contemporary and we are quilting, and it's something that sometimes people don't realize that we're here to honor the work of today's quilter. Our collection is from 1980 through present day. And mm -hmm. so sometimes people are surprised a little bit by that. But, you know, before they walk in the doors, they're maybe expecting something that they're familiar with quilts from, from family members who have passed down quilts, things like that. And then they're a little surprised to see how artistic some of our pieces are or the broad scope of style. But we pretty much, um, we're almost to a 50-50 split in terms of quilts that are hand quilted versus quilts that are machine quilted out of that mm -hmm. 660. And some of our quilts use both techniques. Some, we do have quilts that use both hand and machine quilting. So, you know, it can get really, <laughs> really tricky to look at it. But I think it's worth knowing that whether you're expecting contemporary quilts or you're expecting kind of traditional block style handmade kind of antique quilts you know before you walk in the doors 
as a contemporary current collection, um, lots of living artists, people are still hand quilting. And there are people who are machine quilting. And there were people who were machine quilting years ago, you know, when machines were available. And so that to know that we are kind of almost at this half and half split of, of our collection currently, um, I think is something that most people don't think about. Sure. They don't, um, or they expect one or the other or appreciate one or the other more than, um, than somebody else. And so there are current quilts that are entirely made by hand and they're phenomenal. And then there are quilts that you're like, this can't possibly be handwork. And, and it is, someone has that good of a stitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also the way that you can use machines and sewing machines and designs to create the texture and the design, um, whether it's something from the early eighties to a current quilt now, you know, it's really fascinating. We try to include that on our labels in the exhibit so that people, as they're looking around, if they don't want to ask, you know, the gallery volunteer um, or are unable to ask those questions on their visit, they can look at the labels and see some of those techniques and kind of appreciate or learn a little bit more about what the artist, you know, what techniques, what skills um, that they utilize in a specific piece. So what can we look forward to coming up at the museum? And Becky, how about you? What's, what's next for you? Hmm. Definitely more quilts. More quilts. <laughs> more quilts, more exhibits. Um, we're excited for our upcoming exhibits. Um, I think they're getting ready to release that schedule for 2022 at the museum soon. Um, so there'll be lots of different types of things. Um, and we've got some international exhibits planned. In the next year, we've got some interesting tech kind of quilts um, kind of relevant in that sense. So that'll be interesting to see some of these new techniques and styles. Um, personally, I've got a I've got a small stack of quilt tops that need to be quilted. Um, <laughs> so I'm always kind of working through that. Um, it's hard because I love the quilting process myself. So it's hard to kind of just decide, oh, I'll just send this out and get it done because it's like, but I like doing it. So I want to do it. So they sometimes sit a little bit longer uh, in my stack of things to be finished. Um, but we're also looking forward to getting, you know, back to some of our programming. We were able to have a modified version of Quilt Camp this past summer, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking forward to adding some more um, some more of those kind of things, normal things back, some of our hands-ons, we're getting more tours back, which is always exciting um, on my end to see those groups coming back through the museum, learning about quilts. And then, you know, I've like I said finishing up some quilts, but I know that there's going to be some other things. Uh, maybe I'll get back into doing a few swaps and things to kind of challenge myself, um, working on different projects and and seeing what, you know, what catches my eye or things that I'm like, oh, I really want to try this, you know, let's, let's sit down and actually, actually work it out with fabric. So I'm excited to see, you know, what comes of, of some of those projects. We've talked about many things in this podcast today. Is there a question I didn't ask you that you wish I had? Mm, not that I can think of. Offhand. <laughs> okay. You know, this this has been fun and a wonderful conversation today. And I want to thank you, Becky, for sharing your story with us today. Now, if any of our listeners would like to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can find my email and contact information on the museum website. 
That's probably going to be the easiest way to get a hold of me. Uh, my email's there, the museum phone number. Okay. Um, so if they have questions about any of our programs, Block of the Month, School Block Challenge, Quilt Camp, you know, exhibits, things like that, all of that is on um, under, I think, About Us, kind of our staff team page, and they can find that information there. Great. And we will have some terrific uh, photos on the soandsopodcast.com website of Quilt Camp and some exhibits and you. And uh, so uh, I invite people to uh, go to the website to see that. Uh, Becky, thank you again for joining us today. Absolutely. I'd also like to put the plug in to check us out on social media for the museum. You can find it from our website. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, So sometimes we have artist interviews and information about exhibits or from the artist directly on our YouTube channel. And if people are interested in hearing, you know, from, from those different people that they should definitely check that out there as well. That's great. Thanks again, Becky. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Another story about someone just like you, someone for whom sewing and quilting is so much more than a hobby. It's a way of life. It's a connection to something bigger. If you know someone you think has an outstanding story, a story that should be shared on this podcast, please drop me a note to info at soandsopodcast.com or complete the form on our website. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and visit our website, soandsopodcast.com, for more information about today's and all of our guests. That's S-E-W-A-N-D-S-O podcast.com. And finally, I want to thank Bernina for making this program possible. I'm Meg Goodman, and I look forward to you joining us next time on So and So. So and So.